Well, it is great to be with all of you today. Those of you who are watching on, online with us at home, it is great to have you joining us. Today we are beginning a brand new series together. On the very first page uh, of the Bible, um, we discover these words, let there be light. Now these words are an invitation. And these words are an invitation out of the darkness of this world. They're an invitation for each of us uh, individually to experience life. They are an invitation for us to see life differently, um, perhaps, than we're used to seeing it. And these words are also a reminder that without the light of this world, all there is is darkness. And so as we begin the season of Lent together um, this weekend, we are beginning a, a brand new series to help remind all of us that when Jesus says, I am the light of, of the world, Jesus is saying, listen, when it comes to life in this world, I can show you the way forward. And I am the way out of the darkness. I can show you the way forward, Jesus would say, because this world, it is filled with darkness. But Jesus has come into this world so that we would not be left in the darkness. The challenge for us, however, is that sometimes walking into the light can be threatening. Just like you've experienced before, you walk uh, from a dark room out into the light, oftentimes um, that sudden burst of light can be uncomfortable, and you might even be tempted to think, okay, I can't stay here, um, th this is painful, um, and, and we're tempted to actually retreat back to the darkness. But once we allow our, our eyes to adjust, what comes into light is something that we would have never experienced had we simply stayed in the dark. And so today, where we're going to begin is with an event from the very early days of Jesus' ministry. It's an event that shines an incredible light and an incredible truth on Jesus' reason for being in this world. Jesus has just begun um, to heal the sick and the demon-possessed, and word, um, word has start to, started to spread about him in the communities but now, suddenly, Jesus has healed a, a, a man with, a, with leprosy. He's healed a leper. And leprosy wasn't simply an illness, it was a death sentence. It meant immediate expulsion from friends and from family and from community. And now, Jesus has healed somebody of it, which was absolutely unheard of. And so, word of this healing begins to spread, so much so that Jesus and his disciples, there's only four of them at this point, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they can't even enter into the smaller cities and villages um, nearby. And so, um, and so, they have to stay uh, to the farther regions. And so, they decide to go back to the larger city, Jesus' home city uh, of Capernaum. But even there, they find um, that word has started to spread about Jesus. Everyone wants to see uh, some of his magic. Right, some of his miracle-performing power. And so, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and Jesus preached the word to them. Some men came, and they brought to him a, a paralytic who was carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat this paralyzed man was lying on. Now, if you ever wanted a, a picture of friendship, right, I mean, this is it. This is the kind of friends that we hope, all of us hope, that we have in our life. And th this is what it is that we hope to do and to be for those people that we love and care about in our lives as well. The only problem is um, they're too late. 
right? They can't get into the house, um, but they're determined not to miss this opportunity because they know this is probably their friend's only opportunity to ever be healed. So they go up on the roof of the house where Jesus is and they start tearing the roof apart. Now, the roofs in that day um, were actually made um, by by taking a series of beams and laying them on top of the wall, and then across the beams they would lay branches, and on top of the branches they would smooth out a layer of mud and allow it to, to dry. And typically, these types of roofs were actually replaced every year. And so in the winter, you would strip the old roof off and, this, and then you would put a, a new roof on um, to keep the, the winter rains out. Uh, and so it wasn't like you know, somebody digging a hole in, in your roof, um, but it wasn't the kind of thing that you just wanted being done unless you were doing it uh, on purpose, right? And I, I don't know about you, but for me as a kid hearing this story, um, I would always think to myself, okay, like whose house was it, right? Like whose house did they do this to? And when you read carefully through chapter 1, what you discover is that most likely, um, most likely this is actually Peter's house. Which again, makes sense, right? Because this is early in Jesus' ministry. There's just the four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Um, and, and, and we've talked about this before. Um, Mark's account of, of Jesus' life is actually from Peter's perspective, right? Peter is dictating all of these events to, to Mark. Mark's just writing them down. And so I don't know, maybe, you know, Peter is standing in the back of his living room and he's watching all this take place and he's sitting, through, you know, sitting there thinking to himself, you know, it's a good thing this guy's a carpenter, right? Because this roof isn't going to fix itself, right? And, and everybody who was in that room, in that home that day, um, everybody knew why these people had just done w- what they did. I mean, it's obvious, right? He is not here for the sermon, is he? Him and his friends, they're not here for the teaching. They are not here for insight. They are here for one very, very specific purpose. And it's obvious to everyone, right? It's obvious to everyone what that purpose is. And Jesus takes this opportunity to shine a a, a penetrating and, and even slightly uncomfortable light onto this situation. And this truth, which is for all of us, it it comes out of the blue. But it underscores and it gives to all of us a whole new sense of understanding in every area of our lives, over every prayer, every need, and every concern. Because Peter tells us, right, that when Jesus saw their faith, right, now not a trick question here, but whose faith did Jesus see? Right, maybe, I mean, maybe he saw the man's faith, maybe, but he definitely saw, right, he definitely saw the, the friend's faith, right, because they're all thinking, okay, if we can just get our friend to Jesus, then, then we know he's going to walk out of here. If we can just get our friend in front of Jesus, we don't have to worry about hoisting him back up. We don't have to worry about any of that. We know that he's going to be okay. So when, the, they, when the, Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Thank you. Thank, everyone, okay, a round of applause for the rabbi from, from Nazareth, right? That was Jesus, that was really, um, that was amazing, that was really inspiring, um, Jesus. But, I, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus, maybe you're the only one who, who hasn't picked up on this. Um, but, you know, um, we didn't come here um, so that you could forgive him. Right? We're here so that you could heal him. That's why we're here, Jesus, because perhaps you've noticed um, he's paralyzed. Right? Everybody there that day, they knew exactly why these four friends had just torn through the roof of this house. And it was not to get their friend's sin forgiven. 
was it? Obviously, this man needs to be healed. I mean, Jesus, isn't it obvious to you like it's obvious to us what's most important right now? And, and the scripture doesn't say this, so admittedly, I'm speculating a bit. Um, but, but those four guys on the roof, right? What, what are they thinking at this point? Now what do we do? I mean, do we have to hoist him back up? I mean, do we have to carry him down a ladder off the roof? What about the paralyzed guy? What's going through his mind? What's he feeling? Disappointment? Anger? Embarrassment? Hopelessness? You know, and the audience that day is, is thinking, okay, you know, we came here to see this amazing miracle. Supposedly this guy is this incredible, incredible miracle worker. We, we didn't we didn't come for a sermon. The, the sick people are there thinking to themselves, we thought, I mean, we thought finally there was someone who's going to be able to help us. I mean, we thought, thought that finally, finally there was going to be hope for, for us. I mean, they didn't come for a sermon either. Right? But there's another group of people who, who are there that day, and, and they are completely stunned by these words from Jesus, um, not because they didn't get to see a miracle, but because they, they understand forgiveness. They know how forgiveness works, right? They're, they know that there are, in fact, rules for forgiveness. In fact, many of them um, would consider themselves to be experts of forgiveness. And, and, and so Jesus, he, he shocks these people with what he just said as well, not the teachers in the law, right? We're going to talk about them in a moment. Um, it's, it's us, right? It's you, it's me. It's those of us who are actually hearing Peter's story. It's those of us who are reading Peter's story. The, the, the people who are most familiar with the teachings of, of Scripture, right? Because the more familiar you are with the Scripture, the, the more familiar you are with the fact that from the beginning to the end of, of the Bible, there is an ironclad truth, right? And that ironclad truth is simply this. There is no forgiveness without repentance, Right? And so with these five words from Jesus, Jesus has just managed to, to disappoint or confuse or anger not only the, the person who is paralyzed and his friends, but also all the people who were there watching that day, as well as all of us. All of us who would one day listen to Peter as Peter tells his story about the life of Jesus. Because we know, right? We know. We know God doesn't just look down on humanity and see humanity committing sin and just say, hey, your sins are forgiven. There is no forgiveness from God without repentance. And yet you just heard Jesus just said to a man who has not said anything to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Are you surprised? By that. You should be. Right? In fact, the, the, this truth um, that we're going to look at together today, this is so easy for us to miss, especially if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, especially if you've grown up in church or you've been uh, around church for a long time. It's so easy to miss, and yet Peter wants to make sure that, that we Right? You and me, all of us, those of us who, who never got to see Jesus face to face. He wants to make sure that it's a truth that we don't miss. Right? So what's, what's going on here? How, how do we understand this? Peter actually gives us a couple of clues. Right? Because Peter, um, neither Jesus or Peter, or for that matter Mark, who's recording all this, none of them give us any indication that somehow Jesus is, is suddenly overturning anything uh, from what the Old Testament scriptures teach right, about the relationship between sin and, and forgiveness. 
right? There's none of that. In fact, they've done the exact opposite. They've gone out of their way um, to make sure that that relationship is intact and exactly what is that relationship. Well, we see it in the very beginning of Mark chapter 1. Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near, so repent and believe the good news, exactly like we would expect. And then in the event that just took place, the event that actually led to this house being so overcrowded with people when Jesus heals the man of leprosy, Peter tells us that this is what Jesus says to that man. He says, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded. In other words, that the scriptures command for your cleansing as a testimony to them. What's them? Them is the the sacrifices, again, of Moses, the sacrifices that are found in the scripture. In fact, whenever Jesus tells anybody that they no longer have to obey a command from the past or whenever Jesus changes a command from the past, he's always very explicit about it. And he always says something to the effect of, okay, but I tell you. right? You've heard it said, but I tell you. But I tell you. And Jesus doesn't say anything remotely close to that. So what's the answer? The answer allows us to see something absolutely incredible in Jesus. Verse 8, Peter tells us um, that, that um, that Jesus looked at the teachers of the law and Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, right? So the question is, what is this, right? Well, this is that the teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, right? They were not saying anything out loud and yet Jesus knows their thoughts. Jesus knows in his spirit, right, exactly what they're thinking, which again makes perfect sense, right? Because Jesus can read their hearts just like he can read my heart, just like he can read your heart. And so suddenly it becomes clear what's actually going on here. Jesus knows that there is an inarticulate desire, right, for mercy and grace in this man's heart. There's an unexpressed, right, inarticulate yearning. There's an attitude. And notice, Jesus is so gracious, right, think about this. Jesus is so gracious that he he reads this man's heart. Even though this man's desire for forgiveness um, is imperfect, even though it's unexpressed, right, that is in fact enough for Jesus. Jesus is so eager, right, he is so eager to give his love and his grace. He's not waiting for, for the man to get it all right, right, he's looking for every opening. In fact, he's creating the opening and he offers forgiveness. Even when this man's desire for forgiveness is imperfect, and inarticulate, Jesus leaps and he gives forgiveness. And and notice that when Jesus saw their faith, right, notice what he says to the man. He says, son, right, son. He chooses the most tender word possible, right? Jesus is is looking at a man who, who can't even put into words, who can't even express what it is that he's hoping for, and Jesus is so willing He is so eager that that even though um, there is no articulate expression, Jesus is so eager um, to give that gift. And he uses the most tender word possible to address um, this this man. It would be much like 
Um, and you, you've seen this, right? When someone says to a child, okay, you're trying to teach a child, um, and, and they say, um, okay, now, now say please. Say please. Now please, sir. Right? That's not what we see in Jesus, is it? Instead, Jesus is exactly like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. Um, the, the, the son comes home, right? The, the son comes home, and, and he comes to repent, right? And the father um, is waiting outside. The father's not, um, not standing there, right, tapping his foot, thinking to himself, okay, this, you know, this had better be good, right? No. Instead, the, the father sees the son coming from far away, and the father actually runs to the son, right? Before the son has ever repented of anything, right? Read it for yourself in Luke chapter 15. Before the son has ever even had the chance to repent, the father pounces on him and hugs him and kisses him. The father doesn't love the son because he repents. The son can repent because he's actually loved by the father, there is an incredible tenderness in Jesus that Peter wants us to see. It's the, same, it's the same tenderness, actually, that we see, as Mark will tell us in just a few chapters. When Jesus goes to the home of a man named Jairus, whose daughter has just died. And if you've ever been to the funeral of a child, you know it is the most awful awful thing that you could possibly imagine. You, you can't even put it into words. And, and Peter tells us Jesus goes, and it's just like you'd expect. There's people everywhere, they're all wailing and crying, and, and then you, you have to picture this. You have to picture this in your mind. Jesus goes and he sits down next to this, to this dead girl, and he, and he takes her by the hand. And it's very clearly an eyewitness account because Peter um, tells us very specifically what it is that Jesus says. And he, and he tells us in Aramaic, he, he tells us that, that Jesus took this, this dead girl by the hand and said, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Talitha, um, which means like a little one. Or how we would translate um, sweetheart. Right? And, and kum meaning get up get up. So just like any parent, right, waking a child from a nap, Jesus sits down next to this dead girl and he says to her, sweetheart, it's, it's time to get up. I mean, you have to picture this. Jesus is facing the fiercest foe that we have. He, he's facing death and, and he reaches right through death and he grabs her hand and he brings her back to life. I mean, isn't it remarkable what this man, Jesus, the Son of God, what he is able to do, what he can do, what he wants to do. And isn't it remarkable that at the drop of a hat, uh, uh, given everything he can do and everything that is possible for him, isn't it amazing that as soon as there is any opportunity at all, the thing he's most eager to give is forgiveness? What is it about forgiveness that we don't understand? I mean, clearly from Jesus' perspective, I mean, there is something about this gift that's incredible. But everybody who was there that day, right, when Jesus says, says this, right, they're either disappointed, they're confused, or they're angry. Right, the religious leaders are angry because they're absolutely right. And they know that if, you know, Jesus, if, you know, I guess if you, 
you, you can't say to another person that you forgive their sin. I mean, Jesus, if, if this guy's done something to offend you personally, and then that's fine. You can say to him personally, I forgive you for what you did to me. But Jesus, you can't just like blanket forgive him for the sins that he's committed against another person. Jesus, the, the only person that, that can forgive someone of their sins that they committed against other people is God. Jesus, who do you think you are? God? Jesus, you are claiming to do something that only God can do. So now Jesus has everyone's undivided attention, right? Picture this. Jesus is standing there. Everything is silent. He's covered in all kinds of dust and dirt and garbage from the roof. And immediately, right, immediately, he doesn't give anyone a chance to speak. Immediately, he says to them, why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up, take your mat, and walk. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, so, so I mean, I am not so out of touch with reality as you may think I am. I know why they did what they did. I know what the crowd is expecting. I know what's most urgent to this man. I see his pain. I know what's pressing for him. I know why he's here. I know what you're thinking, and I know what you came for. But I have addressed, Jesus would say, his deepest need. And nobody appreciates it. Now, we're going to pause here for just a minute. Um, because... Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I get this, okay? I understand this. Um, I, I, in fact, I, I relate to this probably more than I wish I did. Um, because, see, the truth is, um, when, when I was born, right, my priorities, um, they came with me, right? And, and the older I get, um, the more clear um, those priorities are. You know what I want most? Number one, health. I want to live a long time, and I want everything to work the whole time, Right? And then I want to die painlessly in my sleep one day and be like, oh, heaven, right? I mean, that's what I want. So God, if you're listening, right, here's my priority list. Number one is health, right? Number two are relationships. I want my relationships with my family, with my kids. I want those relationships to be good. And number three, I want some money. In fact, I want a lot of money. I want a lot of money and I want a lot of stuff. Because if you have these three things, then you have a lot of options, right? And then number four, I'd like to know that I, I've accomplished something. That my, my time here on this earth, in this planet, that, there, that I actually had something to contribute. Like I actually did something with what I was given. Right? You know what never shows up on our lists? Right? This. Right? Never. Forgiveness? It's like, whatever. Right? I mean, it's like, come on. Like, you know, that doesn't even show up on our list, does it? Because this is not a felt need. Now, it's not that you think, I mean, the truth is, if we're honest, some of you don't even think you need this. It's not that you think you're perfect, you just think, okay, well, everybody has their moments, right? So it's, it's fine, I'm, you know, I'm fine, right? I'm fine. Some of us don't even think we need this, right? It is not a felt need, it's not an urgent need, um, it's not one of our primary needs. And see, that's Jesus' point in this, in this event, in this moment, that nobody, nobody thinks about this. In fact, Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven, and everyone's disappointed. Right? This isn't on anybody's list. 
You know why? We don't see as God sees. We don't see as God sees. In fact, the truth is, um, we don't even think about this until all these other things are kind of dried up and gone, and we think we're on our way out anyway. That's when we even begin to consider this one. Right? But the truth is, Jesus follower or, or not, right, until we see as God sees, this will never be on our list. But in this incredible section of Scripture, um, with, with everybody's undivided attention, Jesus says, no, when you begin to see life the way that I see life, then you will understand that this is, in fact, your primary need. In fact, all these other needs, Jesus would say, all these other needs are simply meant to be a reminder of what is actually your primary need, a connection with your Heavenly Father. Forgiveness for everything that stands between you and God to be removed so that you can connect with your Heavenly Father, not simply in this life, but in the life to come. So Jesus says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Sons, your sins are forgiven? Or get up, take your mat, and walk. To which, of course, they're thinking, okay, well, I mean, it's a little bit of a riddle, Jesus, we, we understand that, but it's probably easier to say that your sins are forgiven because, I mean, anybody can say your sins are forgiven, right? Because the, the problem with saying your sins are forgiven is you don't know if they are or not. I mean, anybody can walk up to anybody and say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Hey, your sins are forgiven. Hey, now my turn, right? You, you tell me, okay, your sins are forgiven. All of us can say that, Jesus. So you can say that, Jesus. How do we really know? So that you may know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Why does Jesus use the word authority? Right? Because for Jesus to say to this man, for Jesus to say to us, for Jesus to say to any of us, um, for him to say, okay, your sins are forgiven, means that not only does Jesus have the authority to remove the stain of sin or the blemish of sin, but Jesus also has the authority over the consequence of sin because the consequence of sin is death. The consequence of sin is eternal separation from our Heavenly Father. And so for somebody to say to me, okay, Joe, um, your sins are forgiven, then, then what they're implying is that they actually have the authority to, to not only forgive my sin, but to also remove the consequence of my sin. And the truth is, that's actually something I'm really interested in. Right? Because if I'm honest, what I really want is I do not want to have to pay for what it is that I've done wrong in this life in the next life. And so Jesus says, in order that you would know that I actually have the authority to forgive sin, I'm going to remove one of the consequences of sin, which are sickness and death and disease. I'm going to demonstrate for you in the physical world, Jesus is saying, that I have authority over sin in the spiritual world. Because scripture is clear, right? When sin entered the world, on the coattails of sin came death, disease, sorrow, and pain, and all of the stuff that we struggle with and struggle against in this life. And so someone, if someone can say to you, I forgive you of your sin, then they'd better be able to demonstrate that they have authority over the consequences of sin. So that you may know, 
Jesus says. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. I'm going to show you that what I said happened really did happen. So get up. Take your mat. And go home. Now this is so important, so please, please, please do not miss this. Do you know why Jesus healed at all in his ministry? Because see, many times I, I think that we just think, you know, Jesus is just such a nice guy, right? He couldn't help himself. Like he's walking by, someone's sick, he just can't help himself. He's just like a healthcare dispensing machine, right? He just, anyone who was sick, he just showed up and just helped them, right? Just wanted to heal them, right? That's not it. The reason Jesus healed people physically was to demonstrate that he had the authority to heal them spiritually. Because when you tell someone who's living that their sins are forgiven, there's no evidence of that. Right? That's why Jesus performed miracles in our world. Um, Jesus didn't heal people so that they would, um, so they, they would be healthy because they didn't stay healthy. Right? All of them died. Even Lazarus, who we talked about last week, they all died. It was temporary evidence that Jesus did, in fact, have the authority to solve our ultimate problem and meet our ultimate need. And so Jesus said to the man, I tell you to get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up. And took his mat and walked out in full view, right? This was a very public miracle. He walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, right? Which up until, think about it. Jesus has just secured this man's eternity and everyone's yawning, right? But now, when he heals him temporarily, Peter tells us that everybody, they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. They celebrated the temporary, but were they even aware of the eternal? But Jesus reminds us that health and wealth and relationships and accomplishments, all of these things, all of them come and all of them go. Consequently, my most pressing need is forgiveness, to know that things are actually good between me and my heavenly father because everything else comes and everything else goes the real issue is where am i going to spend eternity but see you know why we miss this because it's so obvious to us in the moment right but you know why we miss this because whenever we face the consequences of sin um, and, and usually the consequences of sin in your life just like in my life usually they show up in one of these four areas that we talked about earlier right health relationships finances identity or accomplishment right this is these aren't these the things that drive us to our knees and then we pray about and then we beg God to fix and to heal and to take care of but see the problem is whenever we face the consequences of sin in, in our life right whenever one of these areas of life go wrong right isn't it true Um, We never say, don't you just hate the consequences of sin in your life? Right, your marriage is falling apart. Don't you just hate sin? You're lonely. Don't you just hate sin? Right, you're fighting with your friends. You're fighting with your family. You're fighting with your parents. You're fighting with your kids. Don't you just hate sin? No, we never say that. So what do we do? We play the blame game, don't we? 
We blame others, we blame ourselves, and then we blame God. In the face of brokenness, all of us, right? Failed dreams, relationships, health, whatever it is, we all look for someone to blame, which only leads to more darkness and more brokenness. See, that is what is in us. And yet Jesus gives us an invitation out of the darkness of this world, an invitation to experience life even when our lives don't end up the way we hoped that they would end up. An invitation for us to see life differently than we're used to, but without his light, right, without his light, all that there is is darkness and blame. And isn't it interesting that the only solution for blame, which by the way is forgiveness, is the very thing that Jesus is so eager to give. Right? And because God knew, right? God knew that, that we would ask th- these questions. Right? This is, this is why God's like, okay, right, right after the very beginning of the book, you know, the whole let there be light thing, that, that's why, he said, that this is why I tell you why I sent my son. Right? He, he knew that we would ask the hard questions. Okay, God, where are you in my pain? God, am I ever going to see justice? God, will you make this right ever? Why is it you seem so distant, God? God, am I not lovable? God, am I not forgivable? Right, the whole reason I I sent my son, your your heavenly father says, the reason I sent you a savior wasn't to make you more healthy. It wasn't to make you more wealthy. It wasn't any of that. It was for him to deal with the one need that is most urgent, the one need that is most critical. The one need that's at the root of all of these other things. And yes, absolutely, there will be moments in life when these issues are big issues. But they will never be the primary issue. Your primary issue was settled, your Heavenly Father says, the moment I looked at you and said, forgiven, 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 forgiven. And see what this audience didn't know, because how could they know? Is that those hands of Jesus, as easy as it was for him to hold up his hands and for him to say that the paralyzed man, that his sins were now forgiven, that very soon after this, that those hands would be stretched out on a cross and nails would be driven through them and Jesus would die to earn the authority to say to you and to you and to you and to me, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. So get up. Get up. Your sins are forgiven. Get up and follow me. Because I want to lead you out of the darkness of this world and into the light. You are forgiven. Today, as we wrap up, I've asked the, uh, the band to play a very specific song. Uh, and it's a song that um, my hope 
is that this would be a, a time for you to just speak to your Heavenly Father, for you to hear Him speak to you. Uh, I want to invite you to come to the prayer rail, uh, to kneel possibly in your seat, um, to stand and sing or to sit and listen. But I, my prayer is that you would be reminded through this song and through this, these words that your Heavenly Father is aware, that He understands. And he is able. But sometimes he waits. And when we, when we have to wait for him, we can always trust him. Because he has already addressed your primary need. And so he promises you that if I've taken care of that need, then you can always come to me with all of the other needs of your life.